Yep. All right, I'm Chris Avina with American Outdoor News. And today we're gonna to be talking about New York State gun laws with uh, Nick Pascalacqua from Pascalacqua Associates. Uh, Nick, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me, pleasure to be here. It's not often that we uh, uh, have attorneys on the show. <laughs> yeah, no, no, it's a pleasure. I'm glad I could be here to have a nice discussion about this stuff. Now, um, we recently had uh, a groundbreaking Supreme Court uh, uh, overturn the New York State concealed carry law, and Governor Hochul fired right back with a whole litany of unconstitutional uh, laws that she jammed through in the middle of the night. Um, right. Now, uh, what is the, the most glaring thing that she pushed through that really infringes on our rights? Well, I think one thing that was, was obvious to everybody is it, it, it killed me when I saw where she attempted to name sensitive locations, mm -hmm. right? Theaters, houses of worship. And if you looked at it, it's all places that are the most frequented targets of mass shootings outside of schools, yep. right? Movie theaters, we hear about all the time, right? Other places of gathering, houses of worship, how many different churches have we heard been subject to, you know, these, some of these uh, mass shootings and such. And, <laughs> right, you know, so now she went and told all the lawful gun owners, disarm yourself in these locations that are the most frequent targets of violent crime, which to me made absolutely no sense. Yep. And I think one of the most glaring issues that still is not really being talked about under New York State's carry conceal laws is that New York pistol permit really confers no other benefit other than allowing that holder to carry that weapon outside of their home. But as we all experience, I've experienced myself, you go into a gun store to look at any type of pistol, you can't touch it unless you show them that you have a pistol permit. Well, a pistol permit under that structure was for ability to carry, not ability to own or purchase. And that's where New York has kind of gone way off the rails. And that's why the Supreme Court overturned it in the way they did. But even in that decision, I think they missed that point. Yeah. You know, that it's not a, it's not a permit to purchase or to own. It's a permit to carry. There should be no other application and process like that for prohibition on attempting to purchase other than your normal NICS checks and whatever you have to do through the FFL. Um, but it always killed me that that simple disconnection is, is constantly overlooked and I think kind of still is being overlooked. Well, I think there's a big misconception or uh, a perception that they've put out in the media that you just walk in I want that gun, and you walk out with it. Uh, you go into a gun shop, unless you have a, a handgun permit, they're not even taking it out of the case to show you. Right. Um, and with rifles and, and, and the like, you're still going through background checks. There's no loopholes. There's no way around it. Right. Absolutely. Now, um, they, she changed a lot of things with the gun licensing requirements, making it a little more stringent. Um, sure. And we both know that, you know, 
a criminal's going to get a gun, he's going to use a gun. It's an illegal. Well, that's the thing. She can set any type of barriers or hurdles for the lawful gun owner to, to step over, and they will, right? Yep. But that does absolutely nothing to prevent someone from robbing a gun store and stealing guns, stealing them out of people's homes, or obtaining them on the streets. Yep. Criminals are criminals for a reason. They, they don't follow the rules by definition. You know, I mean, to think, you know, and that's just always the juxtaposition of that argument is like, oh, well, we have to t- tighter gun laws. Criminals are criminals because they don't follow the laws. So any law you put into place, they, not, they don't even care to be aware of it. They're going to do what they want to do regardless. The, the fact is we have some of the strictest gun laws in the country and um, they don't even utilize or even realize what laws are on the books. I think throwing more laws at it is going to make it better. And it's, it's wrong. They don't even know what laws are on the books that, that are at their fingertips right now. Right. Right. And, um, you know, adding the 16 hour coursework, the two hour of, of live fire experience. Listen, I don't necessarily disagree with that. You know, I think live fire training is, is prudent, Mm -hmm. whether it should be required or not. I'm sure everybody can debate that, but like we're saying, lawful gun owners are going to do what's necessary to, to do what they want to do and obtain firearms. The problem I have is even now, right? I have people calling me, Hey, can you help me apply under the new guidelines? I said, absolutely. Here's the problem. There's still no appellate process. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The new law said they have to put in a, a, a appellate review board so that if someone is denied, there's an independent board that reviews that decision. Well, the problem is we've recently just heard, we've stayed in close contact with the, the pistol permitting office here in, in Oneida County. And they said, okay, we've got the new applications. We're ready to start accepting new applications. I said, great, here's my problem. If my client is denied, how do I appeal? The law says you have 30 days from a denial to file an appeal, that decision. Yeah. There's no appeals board. And the law says it doesn't have to be staffed until April. So now what? You, you haven't appealed, and so now you've lost your ability to apply for another year? Yeah. Well, the fact, you know? that, the fact that they have um, state-regulated training and, and license, stringent licensing that they have to go through. Uh, I don't necessarily disagree with firearm training. Um, just because you could buy a gun doesn't mean that you know how to use it. So yeah, Connecticut sure. does that. Uh, I agree with that. But what other requirements are they jamming down our throat? How, how are they making us jump through hoops to exercise our constitutional right? Well, sure. Like I said, you know, before it was the five-hour training course or whatever it was, a one-day course for, before you can get your application, show that you've done that safety training course. Now it's 16 hours of coursework. It's a long time. Two, two hours of live fire, which doesn't seem like a lot, but as you know, not easy to find. Yeah. Now I'm sure there'll be people that see the business aspect of it and, and start doing it more. But, I mean, I've taken live fire courses just because I wanted to out of my own interest and in, in, in wanting to develop my own skill and comfort levels, you know, with the firearms I had. And those were not easy to find, you know? So 
what people can find once this is back up and running, you run the risk of them selling out and people having to wait months and months and months to get into these you know, courses that are now required training before you can even submit your application. You know, and now thankfully they've, they've thrown out that having to submit your uh, social media profiles and all these things, you know, that, that to me right on its face was, was a glaring issue. Well, that's an infringement of, of your, um, you know, it's an infringement, not only of your rights, it's, you know, your, your personal space. Yeah. And, and as Judge Sotheby said, I mean, Who's making the determination based on that, you know, based on all these different judges looking at different Facebook profiles or what have you and saying, oh, well, based on this post, I don't think they're of good moral character. It's such a, that's what, that's why that was thrown out too, because it's such an arbitrary phrase. One judge might look at a post of, uh, you know, a, a shot deer and say, oh, it's perfectly fine. One might say, oh, that's, no, he's killing animals. I can't have that. I don't know if he had a, a, a hunting license, right? Yeah. Like it's way too arbitrary, way too much room for discretion and not kind of what in the law they'll call a bright line rule, right? Do they have this disqualifying factor, this disqualifying factor, this one? Okay, then we know there's a rubric we can follow yep. to say, oh, well, they're not of good moral character. Based on what? You looked at a, you know, you didn't like a picture they shared or a post they made about something happening in politics or one of your own decisions that may have been public in the local community? They had the uh, Facebook fact checkers uh, taking a look at it. <laughs> yeah, right, right, exactly. <laughs> now, um, w one thing that really jumps out at me is that the statewide license in ammo database. Right. Now, that's... That's dangerous because anybody that ever read a history book knows that's exactly what the Nazis did. Just come in, register it so we're all safe. Everybody feels good and warm and fuzzy about it. And then two years later, they came and they took everybody's guns. And we know how that turned out. Um, right. What are they thinking? That, that's going to be probably the focus of the largest challenges moving forward now that some of the other sensitive area stuff has kind of fallen by the wayside with Judge Sotheby's most recent decision and um, I believe the state saying we're not going to appeal it, we're going to just move forward with, with what is now left. Um, but yeah, that's a huge concern. I know, I know clients of mine that have said, yeah, I'm not telling anybody how many guns I have, I don't care. You know, and I have, I have some that have, you know, extensive extensive collections mm -hmm. and they're like yeah i'm going to insure it but i'm not giving an itemized list of what i have i want a blanket insurance policy on on the firearms because i know what they're valued at i have appraisals and i can provide some of those but i'm not giving an inventory list even to the insurance company well that that's uh, another thing though you if you have insurance for firearms that's a database Right. Right. You're basically, you're at a minimum acknowledging that you're an owner of firearms. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. That's going to be, I think, in the near future, um, that's, I think that'll be the focus of the largest debates and challenges moving forward, at, at, given what's shaken out so far. And that kind of goes right into New York's red flag laws. 
Mm-hmm. Because now, if you're flagged, now they've got a running database. And if not, if every single one of those firearms isn't obtained, there's, there's a bigger issue. When maybe, you know, long guns and such you've sold or they're on consignment or what have you, right? It creates a whole bunch of extra hurdles in those situations. Well, you know, uh, how do we know that if you own a firearm, you say you own a firearm, you're on that uh, license list, uh, how do you know you're automatically not listed on that red flag list? Right. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and with with, with Governor Hochul's new uh, addition that she thrust upon law enforcement earlier this year with regard to that red flag law, which from my understanding, most of law enforcement, at least in this area and the ones I've dealt with about the red flag laws, can't stand it. They've taken all the discretion. She's taken all the discretion right out of it. Yes. She's effectively said any law enforcement officer that has probable cause to believe that this person may be, not probable cause to believe they are, probable cause to believe they may be a danger to themselves or others, you're not to consider filing for a temporary extreme risk protection order. You're mandated by her executive order. Now, they are required by law to file for an extreme risk protection order. Well, you know, um, let's take a quick step back here because uh, everybody might not be aware of what a red flag law is. Can you take a minute to explain that? Yeah, absolutely. So in New York, it's it's a application for a extreme risk protection protective order. And there's only certain people that are able to file the petition or the paperwork to request that. Immediate members of, of your family, um, school members, law enforcement, obviously, and any healthcare provider that may be treating that person. Well, the problem is, with, especially with this new uh, directive from Governor Hochul, is that you're not, I've never seen an individual family member file. I've never seen a person or member of any educational institution, public schools or universities otherwise. And why? Because they're not the families, but you know, anybody treating somebody or an, an education, they're mandatory reporters. Yeah. But they're not required to file these applications. They're simply required to report to law enforcement. And now what has happened? This imposition by the governor now makes law enforcement that's receiving this information that may be good, bad, or otherwise, and it's requiring them to file. But what happens is the petition goes to the court. If the court believes it's sufficient, they issue a temporary extreme risk protection to protective order, and they send law enforcement to the person's home, and they are instructed to seize all firearms in the home, bar none. Mm-hmm. The law then says that within a certain amount of time, I think it's 10 days from the issuance of the temporary order, they have to be given a hearing to determine whether or not that temporary order will be made a permanent order. Usually those are pushed back a bit because obviously that person wants to hire an attorney. A lot of times, believe it or not, the agency filing has to find an attorney. Uh, I've handled a number of these things. Even the police agencies have had to go out and hire private attorneys. But technically, the district attorneys 
doesn't say this explicitly anywhere, but I've only seen one instance where a district attorney has represented the law enforcement agency, and that was in Herkimer County. And to me, that's a gross conflict of interest. Because you're, their task is something completely different, prosecuting crimes. This is not alleging a crime. This is just alleging concerning conduct. Yeah. And now that district attorney's office is going to go on the record as representing the state police, let's say, in this one case I have. Well, now, how can you say you're biased or you're unbiased and you're prosecuting a case and you have a witness on the stand who's a state trooper? You represented them or their agency. Mm-hmm. That's a conflict of interest in, in the law in any other capacity. Well, it's, it's, you know, it's overreach. You know, what if you have an argument with your neighbor and your neighbor calls up uh, the local police department and says, I had an argument with Nick. He's very irrational. Um, I know he owns a lot of firearms and I feel threatened. So in turn, the police have to come investigate and maybe confiscate your firearms. Right. Right, exactly. And the thing that killed me is the one I had, I had one here in Oneida County. The law did not even carve out an understanding for, suppose my son does something that subjects him to an extreme risk protective order or or petition for one. But I also have my own set of firearms. There's nothing in the law that's factored in to say that I have to give up my guns or that I am subject to anything. There is now a caveat in there that says you can be asked by the court to give them an affidavit stating that these firearms are mine or I have my own and I will not allow this other person access or possession to those firearms. But there's nothing in the law to say what happens if that family member who's not the subject of that petition says, no, I'm not certifying anything to the court. It's my personal property. I'm, I, I can tell you I'm not going to let them have access to them, but I'm not putting anything in writing. I'm not giving you any affirmation that you can then slap me on the wrist. What happens then? Yep. The law is completely silent. Yeah, but it's also silent. It doesn't say they can come in and take that person's firearms for being uncooperative. It's, it's guilt through association. You know, and, and that was one I had. A, a, a guy's son acted erratically, was subject to it. They happened to find some... BS complaint that the son attempted to file against dad almost six months prior. And in New York State, with domestic stuff, because it's father's son, it's considered a domestic dispute. It's what they call a shall arrest state, meaning any domestic call or dispute where police are involved, if they even have probable cause to believe anything happened, they must arrest somebody. They didn't arrest dad. And I got the cop on the stand to say, I didn't, because I didn't have probable cause to believe anything he said. To believe anything he said. The judge still says, yep. I find by clear and convincing evidence, which is the standard for an ERPO, he said, I find by clear and convincing evidence he's a risk to himself or others. And I'm taking his gun. <laughs> when six months earlier, the, 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 what would have been the arresting officer said, I had no probable cause to believe anything the son said. Yep. Wild. Too much discretion. Yeah, it's a, it becomes a judgment call that really falls into the uh, the left's playbook. Yeah, yeah. And again, I think they need to work it out so that it's more of a bright line rule. And they're 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 some of the judges are trying to go that way, and they're really only uh, issuing these if they can show a really 
erratic behavior or an underlying mental health issue, mm -hmm. which really is where that should be going a little bit more. And it kind of seems to be from some of the judges I've spoke with that understand this stuff and don't want to buy into this scare tactic. They're kind of saying, yeah, I, I won't grant them unless I see some conduct that's very concerning or they establish that there's an underlying mental health condition that needs to be addressed first. Now, did they mandate um, gun safes as well? Uh, they did not, but they can be. I've had clients, believe it or not, whose homes have been burglarized. And the people have taken the gun safes, you know, smaller, heavy metal gun safes. And my clients have reported it as they should. It's been, I've been victim of a burglary. Yes, my gun was in here. Here's a serial number. Here's all my information. Here's my pistol permit. So you have all the information. The pistol permitting judge in the county wrote to them saying, you're an irresponsible gun owner. I'm revoking your pistol permit and setting it for a hearing. Wow. So I had to get involved. I went to talk with the judge and with the clerk said, good luck keeping this if, if this goes through because we're going to appeal you. And he said, okay, well, fine. Show me he bought a new safe and show me pictures that he bolted it to the wall this time. All right. I said, okay. And my client didn't care. He said, okay, fine. That's easy enough. Whatever is easy to just get me my guns back or get my permit back so I can go replace the gun that was stolen. So we did it. But suppose we said, go fly a kite. We don't got to show you anything. Yep. You can't show I'm irresponsible because my house was, was burglarized and I was a victim of a crime. Well, that, you know, again, falls into the, uh, the rights of the criminal. You know, we're, they're taking away our rights and enforcing theirs. Right, right. Now, um, one of the things that we saw years back during the Obama administration, he was trying to go after, you know, the guns and he couldn't get it. So he was going to try and get uh, the ammo casings stamped with serial numbers. Now, that didn't go through, but now Governor Hochul wants people to go through background checks to buy ammunition, uh, which essentially is accomplishing the same thing. I agree. And I have some other just kind of public policy concerns about that because there's nothing unlawful from you packing and producing your own ammunition. Mm -hmm. I know several people that do it. Nothing unlawful about that. So there's nothing in the law to say, if you're doing that, here's a procedure by which you must register your ammunition or your, your reused case, you know, casings or, or the materials you're buying in order to produce your own ammunition. And by forcing this uh, directory or list uh, on you know, the state for anybody buying ammunition for any purpose, my thought is you're gonna force more and more people into trying to pack and produce their own ammunition, which for better or worse, but inevitably you're gonna have people that half-ass that. And that's not a safe condition for those lawful gun owners that feel compelled to protect their privacy, that they have to do this. You know, which which I don't think anybody's factoring in. No, that's that's definitely true. And hey, if somebody wants to hurt somebody, they're going to find a way. You know, the the absolutely. Listen, I've had cases. We do a lot of criminal law here. Yeah, I got a lot of gun cases, but now we got the ghost guns. I got a lot of cases where people hit each other with baseball bats. 
or throw a rock at somebody, right? Or hit somebody with a car. Like you're saying, I mean, I've had people charged with assault with a deadly weapon for hitting somebody with a broomstick. You know, they could try and allege anything as a dangerous instrument if it's used in that way. Yeah. And like you said, somebody wants to hurt somebody, they're going to just grab whatever they can find to make that happen. Look at these four kids in Iowa. My, you know, they're in the safety of their own home. Four of them get stabbed to death. Terrible. Or Virginia. Yeah. You know, same thing. I think these people that want to find guns to use for illegal purposes are going to find guns to use for illegal purposes. You know, um, you know, and then and, and the state, they can't take it. Around here locally, they did a gun buyback. Right? Amnesty Day will give you X amount of money per gun. Some guy. And they and they I think they had said no matter the condition or what have you. This guy prints 120 ghost guns on his 3D printer, turns them in, and says, All right, I want my twenty-five thousand dollars. <laughs> and I don't even know if they were even functional. They fought it, fought it, a judge said, Yeah, cut the man his check. Wow. And he and he wouldn't even go on camera. They blacked him out like you see on like a dateline and stuff. And he said, Look, they made the offer. They didn't make it clear enough. It took me an hour and a half to print uh, however many guns I brought them in. That's it. And they had to pay me because they don't even think these things through far enough. Even the gun buybacks, you know? And yeah. even then, you think this guy's doing something that's supposed to be produced functioning ghost guns. Great, off the streets. And then you're going to dispute paying him? You know, they, they want everything done and they want it all done just the way they say for nothing to anybody else. It's, you know, it's going to be what it's going to be. The criminal, like we said, will always find a way to get a gun. You want to hurt somebody, look at the Boston Marathon bombers. They didn't use a gun. And, and, and here's the thing that people don't think through either. You know how many gun cases I have where maybe a gun is... They run it. It's stolen out of Georgia, Connecticut, Florida, Massachusetts. Well, guess what? We could have the tightest gun laws in the world. How are you going to stop someone driving with one in their waistband or in their trunk from Pennsylvania? Well, they, they use that, um, that uh, buzzword, common sense gun laws. It don't matter how many gun laws we have. If somebody, like I said, you want to hurt somebody, you're going to find a way to hurt somebody. You run them over, you stab them, you make a bomb out of something you pull off the internet. There's always a way. Right. It's oh, a, absolutely. That's the thing. Has nothing to do with the gun. But uh, so what? Um, what uh, do you specialize in um, as far as? Uh, the new gun laws and uh, things of that nature. Yeah, so our firm primarily practices in criminal defense, we do some personal injury and social security disability, and we've gotten heavily into helping helping advocate for people applying, or if they've received one of these notices that their uh, permits have been suspended and are requiring a hearing, or with applying and or appealing those. Additionally, as I said, with the extreme risk, risk protective orders, we represent individuals on those quite regularly. 
like we said, there's a we've seen a big influx in those filings, and that's a scary situation. That's legitimately them coming and taking your guns. You know, people joke about, oh, they're not going to come take your guns. This is the law that specifically says police will come in your home and take every gun you own. And they will hold it for at least one year. And if you don't go get them, they will hold them for two years before they will destroy them. Yep. And at the end of the one year, by the way, whoever made the complaint against you can ask for a one-year extension. So we take those very seriously because, again, it's a very sig- serious and significant right that people had on, from the Second Amendment that we don't think should be frivolously, let, not, forget infringed, but even encroached upon yeah. without legitimate due process and legitimate clear rules that are not subject to interpretation by each and every different judge that may see it. Now, um, how does, and, and this is previous New York State gun laws, how does a particular uh, magazine capacity or a stock on a particular type of gun curb gun violence? It doesn't. And just as we said, if you want a gun, you're going to get one. I've had clients with 100-round magazines. I've had them with drum magazines. I've had them with 30, 30 uh, round banana magazines with AR-15. I mean, it's just the same. If you want it, you're going to get it. There's almost nothing you can't find online to be shipped anywhere discreetly, unfortunately or fortunately, whatever you're looking for, right? As you said, it's, it's how hard is it to find how to create any type of crazy apparatus of any kind, right? There's probably blueprints for jetpacks online that you could actually put together that would have some kind of function. Yep. Right. I mean, and, and you can probably have all those parts shipped to you, whether those parts or substances are legal or not in the state where you reside. So I agree. There's nothing that's going to stop it. And what have we seen? How many times do you see these, these mass shootings? They don't have 100 round drum magazine. No. They're, they're carrying six firearms. And, and most of the time, right? even when, even when, even in these places where there are no magazine restrictions or capacity restrictions, they're not coming in with a, with a Gatling gun. They're coming in with five or six firearms strapped to them and additional magazines anyways. Yep. Guess what? If you have, you're not, you're not, you're not going to have any more or less success as a criminal with 12 rounds or two, six round magazines. They're going to accomplish their goal one way or another. It don't matter. You know? All right. Well, I I appreciate you taking the time to speak to us today. Where can we find you, Nick? If somebody in New York needs your help, uh, is New York the only place you practice? or? Yeah. Currently, we practice only in New York, primarily central New York, upstate New York, kind of between Syracuse and Albany, Binghamton to Watertown. Uh, We have offices in Syracuse, Utica, and Rome, New York. You can find us at cnytriallaw.com or at 315-500-6425 or 877-TRIAL-LAW. Okay, I appreciate you taking the time and uh, 
We appreciate the information, especially everybody in New York that should be hearing this right now. Um, it's, it's great information to have. Yeah, absolutely. I really appreciate the invite. Happy to share it and happy to discuss if anybody has any concerns or questions, want to schedule a consult with us to get, you know, clarification on their own issues. We're all ears. All right. Thanks again. Thank you. We love our children. We protect them. We guide them. We prepare them for life in the world. With all that we do, from deep in our hearts, we cannot control all things. Life-threatening illnesses and disabilities affect far too many of our children each year. While we cannot change the circumstance, we can make dreams come true. Dreams to provide hope, to provide spiritual healing and strength, to provide moments of happiness and relief in the hardest of times. We can give a glimmer of light and hope in a time of darkness and despair. Join HuntOfALifetime.org to help make dreams come true, to provide hope for children with life-threatening illnesses and disabilities. Hunt of a Lifetime is a nonprofit organization fulfilling dreams for hunting and fishing trips to youth 21 and under with life-threatening illnesses and disabilities. Visit HuntOfALifetime.org to learn how you can make a difference.